Are you looking forward to that day when we will be in the presence of God Almighty? Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Today is November the 12th. And if I recall correctly, November the 12th of 2017 was an eventful milestone in my life. It's been exactly six years ago that I accepted the call to the ministry. And I just want to acknowledge and appreciation for your support and your encouragement over the years and putting up with my feebleness and failures. And I want to implore you to continue to pray for me and the ministry here as we endeavor to serve each of you as under-shepherds. A couple weeks ago, I brought a message here about worship, and that message was a result of the, the cogitations of my mind as I had an assignment about worship, and I would like to bring another message about worship this morning. There may be a little bit of an overlap, but I don't think there's a lot. Worship is a big subject. And I believe that, that what we worship will define us and have greater consequences than anything else about us. As was pointed out in our Sunday school lesson in 1 John, it's a lot of, of very simple yet complicated things in 1 John, but the last verse is so simple. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, guard your hearts in what you worship. Consider the priorities of your life. Jesus, when he was tempted of the devil, I believe he experienced a lot of different temptations in those 40 days. It just says he was taken to be tempted. And then we don't know what all happened during those 40 days, but afterward, there are three temptations specifically that we are, we are told, we have recorded. What was the final temptation? Satan said, fall down and worship me and I will give you the glory of the kingdoms of this world. Something to that effect. Worship. The choice of what Jesus would do with the allegiance of his heart was the, the, the crowning or perhaps the, the ultimate temptation brought together. worship the I don't I didn't get a, a title for today the the title that this was or the theme of this message was worship in personal life and, and thinking more of just each 
person's individual heart response to God in worship. And as I think of worship, I think of, of God consciousness. And I know as a, as a young person, a young Christian, I, I struggled with the, the desire to be aware of that witness within myself, of the presence of God. And that has grown, and I pray that it will continue to grow. Is, and I think that's kind of, it's wrapped up in this idea of worship. Because what's first in my life I will think about. But I worship God because of who He is and who I am. And I know that I did say that the other week, and I want to look at a passage in Revelation 4 that just concisely brings this concept forward. I worship God because of who He is and who I am. Revelation 4, 10 and 11 It says, And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before him, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And to break in there, that's, that's God, the creator. Thou hast created all things. What more can we ask for in a deity, in something to worship? And the last part of that verse says, and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. That's us, his creation, our purpose, our created purpose in life is to render to God the glory and honor and power that is due unto his name. Worship, I believe, is a heart posture. It's how we set our heart. And what we, what we set our, the affection of our heart, the direction of our heart. The Bible talks about the heart as being the foundation of our person. I'd like to look at a, a few references that speak of setting your heart. In Psalm 62, verse 10, the last half says, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. So it doesn't say that riches are bad, but it's, it's what you do with your attitude of your heart. Don't set your heart. Think of focusing your heart on them. In Luke 12, verse 34, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you highly value is what you will set your heart on. And it's several verses from Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed it law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, 
even the children which should be born and should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. What does your life declare? And what are you passing on? Because hearts that are steadfast and hearts that are set aright, that have a posture of of honor and respect and desire to, to serve God, will pass that on. But in Daniel 10, verse 12, The angel came to Daniel and says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I think Daniel was a man who knew what it meant to worship. He placed God on a priority above all the other things around him. And it he was committed to honor God, to obey God. And this is at the end, toward the end of the book of Daniel, but we we see that early in the book of Daniel as we see the experience that he had multiple times, he and his friends, to very plainly declare their allegiance, what their heart was set on. But here, Daniel set his heart to, it says that he was, chastening himself. He was fasting and he was praying and it was for 20 days, I believe. It's a long time. And he was, he was sacrificing. If, if you remember, I mentioned that sacrifice is an integral part of worship and we'll see that later here too. But here Daniel was sacrificing in chastening himself to set his heart to understand God and what was going to be coming. But you know, we become like what we worship. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 3, it's a verse that many of us know. But I think it's an important concept. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We desire to please the Lord. We desire to be like Christ. And it says here that as we come before Him with open face, with a pure heart, and we worship that we are, we are changed into the same image by the Spirit. Psalm 115 looks at the heathen. And in verse, I go ahead and read verses 1 to 8 of, of Psalm 115. Thinking of idols that the heathen have. 
Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? I think the picture here is you have a bunch of of idol worshiping people and they have an object. They have an idol that they're worshiping. And they say, where's your God? What are you worshiping? We have something to worship. What are you worshiping? Verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. There's a lot of things that we can place priority on that will really dumb us down. It will take away our sense of of spiritual realities. There's a long passage in Isaiah 44 I'd like us to turn to. I know I've read this before, but it never had struck me until I was studying this quite the the power almost sometimes things are are so sad that they're humorous and that's the picture here Isaiah 44 9 to 20 they that make a graven image are all of them vanity I'm going to stop here and just interject this this is a very specific illustration but there are a lot of practical applications that can be in our lives. Think if there's anything that you would have in your life that could could be taking the place or be in a place of these images. But they that make a graven image are all of the vanity and their delectable things shall not profit and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with hammers, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule and marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes and he marketh it out with the compass and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in his house. He heweth him down cedars and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself amongst the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourisheth, and the rain doth nourish it. The picture here is a lot of work and effort going into make something. The smith and the carpenter, both of them, are, are at work to create this graven molten or molten image. 
Not, either, not even do you go and, and find a tree. You maybe even plant a tree. You cut the other trees down around it. You grow this tree up. Verse 15, Then shall it be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh a graven image and falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god. Even his graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part in the fire, yea, I have baked bread upon the coals thereof, I have roasted flesh and eaten it. Shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Now that's a lot there. I don't know if you, if you caught all the imagery and all the realities that, that are put forward there. But to take a tree and to cut the log in sections and to select one piece and carve it for something to worship, pray to and say, deliver me. And the rest you split up and you put it in your stove and you bake bread with it. Deception. Blindness. And it says here, a deceived heart hath he turned him aside. And I think when we are drawn to worship of temporal things, we're deceived. We become deceived and we can't see our error. We can read this and we see the, the absolute stupidity of it. But if you're in it, you may not see it. I've referenced a passage here before in Hebrews 10. And I'd just like us to think about it a little bit in regard to this. Hebrews 10. It's, it's speaking of, verse 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So there is the, the command and the encouragement to be interacting with each other, to be exhorting, admonishing, looking out for each other. And then the following verse says, If we sin willfully. And I look at this as the body working together. And I think it's critical because deception is deception. We don't realize where we are. And that's the strength of the brotherhood is that others can see us maybe like we don't see ourselves. And they can exhort us. They can encourage us. 
maybe admonish us when we, they see that we have placed something in our life and a priority, our priorities are not right. No, we need to not do it in a judgmental attitude, but we are called to admonish, to warn each other that we don't fall into a trap like this. Where is the posture of your heart? What is it set to? If we go to the New Testament, we look at all the references to worship. There's actually not that many regarding personal worship. I think there's about 40 times that the word worship is is mentioned. A number of those are in Revelation, and a lot of them are looking back at Old Testament happenings. Why why do the, the epistles speak so little of worship? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Paul makes very little reference to worship. But turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, very familiar passage to most of us. And... The, the last phrase of verse 1, in a number of other translations, it's translated rather than reasonable service is worship or spiritual worship. So just keep that in mind. we we'll read verses 1 through 3 of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We see here a call to a complete life surrender. And that is the essence of worship. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is integral to worship. It's giving up or giving to. Giving up something that I value to prove what I really value. Verse 2 says, and be not conformed. So, don't be pressed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a parallel passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 13 through 17. I'll read, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves, so there's that conforming, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth every man's work, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Here it's the person of God, a worship of the high God that drives or leads or calls us to, to, to holiness. Why do you want to obey God or do you? But if you do, what is it that causes you to? Is it fear or is it love? Is it wrath or conscience? Fear of wrath or because of conscience? We look at, at Romans 12, 2, and there's a, a doctrine that we call the, the doctrine of separation and nonconformity. Some think that that's pretty restrictive and negative. Separation and nonconformity. Go to Romans 8. Just turn back a few pages. Verses 28 and 29. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has called each one to be conformed. So if you want a positive word instead of a negative word, here's the doctrine of conformity. Conformity to the image of Christ. Pressed in to the mold of Christ. Conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The desire is that Christ would have been the first, but that there would be many that follow that would be little Christs. What's the word for that? Christians. They would be little Christ. That's what God wants to see in your life. What are you conforming your life to? And I believe that the shift in emphasis from, the, from worship in the Old Testament to the New Testament is that of committed love. Because that is worship. But that's why we don't see the word worship in the call of, of the epistles to worship God. It's to love God with all your, all your heart. Jesus says that. But that's the cause to love God, to make him priority. And when you do that, your life is going to demonstrate that love. It's going to equal obedience. Because what we ultimately love, we will worship. And obedience is a test of that love. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If ye love me, 
If your heart is set toward me, if you desire to please me, then keep my commandments. And a little later on, he says, He that hath my commandments, verse 21 of John 14, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Loving God equals obedience to God. The children look like they're all very busy writing and coloring and paying good attention. I'd like them to come up here for a really short little children's time. Children, come up here to the, to the front bench. Second bench if you need. Jesus told a story. He said one time there were two boys and their daddy had a job for them to do. He came to him and he told one of them, he said, I want you to go out and work in my garden. Now this is November, right? And most of the work in the garden right now involves nasty things like pulling slimy tomatoes and peppers down that we didn't get taken down before it frosted or something like that. Does that sound like fun? The first one said, uh, I'll go. And then his dad went on. But instead of going, he went into his room and we don't know exactly what he did. Jesus doesn't give us the details, but it's a story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the basic story with a few extra details. But he took a book, and he thought, you know, it's, it's cold. That works nasty. I don't want to do it. So he just got a book and started reading his book. Maybe he found a doll to hold. Oh, he was a boy, right? Found some tractors to drive. He said he would go, but he didn't. This boy also had a brother. And he went to the brother and he said, I need you to go out and work in the garden. He said, I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. But his dad went on and he thought about it. You know, he said, I really, I really should do that. My dad asked me to do it. I told him I'm not going to because I don't want to. But, you know, I'm going to go do it. So he got up and he went out and he worked. Now, one of those said, I'm going to, and he didn't. 
The other one said, I'm not going to, but he did. Which one obeyed his father? The second one. Because he did what his father asked. Not because he said he was going to, because he said he wasn't, but because he did what he was supposed to. He obeyed. And that's what God wants each of us to do. If we love God, we'll obey him and do what he asked. Let's sing that song, Obedience is the Very Best Way. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly as the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you obedience in a simple way tells what we worship if we worship God Ephesians 5 1 says be ye therefore followers of God as dear children imitators of God trying to do what he does and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor prove your love and then it goes on with a long list of things to put off. But let's turn to Colossians 3. Personal worship. What is your life demonstrating that you worship? Worship being a posture of the heart. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. There is heart. Set your affection. So that's the call here, is worship. Verse 3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now that verse says mortify, put to death. Crucify the things that the flesh wants. The flesh will have to give these things up. 
And notice something here which is called idolatry. Covetousness, the desire for things. Verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which also ye walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore. So we put off these things and we put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do it with God consciousness. Do it with a desire to please the Lord. Do it with the purpose to fulfill His will. That's worship. That's the ultimate worship. Do you have time for God? Do you have time for God? Are you able to set aside that time for reflection and meditation? How can we know what God wants from us if we don't take the time to seek His face and ask? I met a man yesterday and in the course of conversation, we had a, a bit of a conversation. I asked him, I said, I asked him if he, was, if he was born again. Well, yes. I said, do you go to church? No, I haven't found one I agree with. I asked him if he reads the Bible. Well, no, he doesn't. He has several, but he doesn't read. And I encouraged him to do both. Because it's in the context of reading the Scripture that we know what the will of the Lord is. And it's in the context of the brotherhood that we are encouraged in that. And we can make sure that we're on target and we're on track and we're not deceived. But as I consider my life my Christian walk, this is probably the biggest shortcoming of really setting my affection on things above, taking the time, making the time to worship. To prove the priorities of my life. 
How do you spend your leisure time, your extra that isn't things that have to be done? What do you feed on? This passage in Colossians is a contrast, a huge contrast between those who are the children of disobedience and those who are to be the children of God, the children of obedience that have their affections set on God, the desire to be renewed in knowledge and conformed to the image of Christ. And I look at society around and, and the pressures that come at us. Recently, there was something on the computer, a place I was, I was going online, and it said, oh, you have an ad blocker. You can't come here with an ad blocker. Well, I find that an ad blocker is the most powerful tool in my toolbox to avoid stuff I don't want to see. Okay, take the ad blocker off. I need to go here. And within seconds, I was inundated with what I didn't want to see. This is a little example of the pressures that are coming to influence us in our flesh, in our carnality. The ad blocker went back on, and that site, if it doesn't work, oh well. Going out into public and seeing what the world is feeding on, the perversion that is put in front of us every day as we go out into society, and just realizing how much the culture of the world both feeds and feeds upon lust and materialism. And just thinking about the advertisements, the, the, the gross immodesty and immorality, Lust and materialism, the desire for things. If you don't need it, then I'll explain to you why you must have it. You ever face that? Get advertisements in the mail, do you see billboards, and they tell you you need things that you don't need. And often the two are combined to try to create a desire for material things by using lust to make it look more appealing. First John says that we are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I want to encourage us to worship. to set our affection on things above and yes that happens in our heart in our spirit and as it happens there it'll come out in what we allow ourselves to focus on to spend time in to prioritize it will affect 
the purity of our heart. When we're tempted to go somewhere, to view something we shouldn't by choice, what our affections are set on, what the posture of my heart is will determine whether I'm faithful to God or not, whether I give Him the rightful place. What we worship will define us and have greater consequences than anything else about us. I would just, there's a few verses in Revelation 13 yet that as we think of worship, I said a lot of them are in Revelation. And think about the consequences of worship. Revelation 13, 4 says, And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And in Revelation 13, verse 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, being the beast of the dragon. I think it's the beast here. Whose names are not written in the book of life, book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Worship was defining, will be defining. What you worship will be the most defining aspect of your life. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That's worship.